Well, good morning. Welcome to Q&A. We're so glad that you decided to join us this morning. Uh, really a great morning. I uh, love that song that we just finished with. Well, come on in. <laughs> I promise I ran. <laughs> it was a quick turnaround. Yes. Um, great song to end on mm -hmm. this morning. Um, really great encouragement. Um, really interesting as, as I was watching the service um, the first time talking about guilt and understanding, thinking back like, oh, yes, now I see what you're talking about. You, I feel like it's one of those things you don't always realize yeah. that guilt can be um, disabling, mm -hmm. if you will. Oh, incredibly. That, that's, <laughs> you must have been just a lot better person than I was. But uh, for a long time, <laughs> guilt would cause me to go, I think I've shared before this lie. Um, don't confess it to the Lord until you know you're never going to do it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's this constant condemnation that drives a wedge, a perceived wedge, mm -hmm. between me and, and the Lord. And I can't talk to the Lord because of my guilt. Uh, I can't confess to the Lord because of my guilt, because my confession has been insincere in the past, and it wasn't necessarily insincere. I just mm -hmm. not learned to overcome sin in my life. And right. so there was always that wedge there. And when there's that wedge there, I think, and maybe this was just me, but then there's like, how can I talk to other people about the Lord when I know you know, the reality of my own life and, and this whole concept of I can only share the gospel. I can only engage with folks if my life is perfect. And, and this idea that <clears throat> people won't listen <laughs> unless right. I live a perfect life. And so that's why I started with guilt. I think mm. guilt not only drives the relationship that we feel like we can live with before the Lord, that he has made available to us, but it shuts us down to be fleet-footed because uh, if I'm knocked down, I'm not advancing mm -hmm. at all. So uh, guilt and then, the, again, that whole works mentality. I'm sure there are other things that the enemy uses that we need to remind ourselves with the gospel. Uh, I picked those two because I knew by my own story, my own life, uh, of how uh, you use the word disabling, detracting, um, just that put me in paralysis almost, mm -hmm. uh, paralyzing me with being used by the Lord because of my own guilt. Well, that's why I don't think I'd realized in my life how many times I had been paralyzed because of guilt thinking yeah. it was something that I just wasn't able to move past. Mm -hmm. And so that was an eye-opener for yeah. me to be able to name that um, and say, that's what that is. Speak truth to that. Yes. I don't think I'd realized the impact it had had in my life. My, my understanding, the problem was for me, my understanding of the gospel was that Jesus had paid the penalty for my past sins. Right. Mm -hmm. I actually wasn't uh, confused about that. It was my present and my continue that I was like, man, but when Jesus came into my life, he forgave me for my past, but this is present, and I'm not sure what the gospel says to my present life. And that's why 
You know, you either got to go, Colossians 2, 13 and 14 is true, that he has forgiven all of our trespasses, that, the, that, that God, because he is eternal, doesn't live in this timeline that I live on. And I think, well, my certificate of debt, my sin uh, that the Lord has nailed to the cross is just up to today. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's silly in some way to think that. He sees my entire life and all the sin that would separate me from the Lord, past, present, and future, and has forgiven me. But it was an incomplete understanding of the gospel that was paralyzing to me. So so we've got some questions that have come in. And um, the first one here, dovetailing with that, the question is, if our sins now and future have been forgiven, why do we need to continue to confess daily sin? My friend insists that it's unnecessary. Yeah, no, that's a good good question. I've wrestled with Mm. that. Um, So... uh, analogies aren't always perfect, but oftentimes they help. So mm-hmm. let me go back to the marriage again. Person's married. We say, till death do us part. So if indeed we understand marriage is for life, then do we sin against one another? Yes, we do mm-hmm. sin against one another. I'm impatient. You know, I'm congested, and so I'm not patient with Jackie, and then there's this kind of brokenness and and so we can either live in that brokenness and just start to live separate lives and or we can say are we still married here's the analogy are we still married yeah are we living in the oneness that marriage is intended to be no we're not because there's brokenness between us so the relationship uh, the identity married is still there, but the relationship is not functioning as it's intended to function right. until there is, Jackie, I'm sorry, uh, no excuse, uh, I'm just tired, or I didn't sleep well, and so I apologize. Translate that, and, the, uh, and the, there's reconciliation. Translate that to the Lord. When I... Embrace Christ as my Savior, my sin paid for full and complete. Well, then why do I confess? Because there's a difference between the identity of the relationship and the fellowship of the relationship. You differentiator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, here's how confession has changed in my life. There really was initially that, oh, I need to confess or I'm going to hell again. Mm. And then there was the confession for the fact, well, I've done wrong, and I confess that I did wrong. Confession has um, morphed, I think, grown to a more biblical understanding in my own life, too. My confession is, Lord, when I speak that way, or I think those thoughts, or I do those things, that is not consistent with who you've made me to be in Christ. So I'm, they're not out of this, oh, he's going to send me to hell. They used to be. Oh, he's going to send me to hell, and I don't want to go to hell. Right. <laughs> it was, now, that's not who you made me to be, and I cannot live as you've intended me to live while I am in this sin. And so I confess that, and I can name it, specifically 
not because it has brought condemnation in my life, but because it's broken the fellowship. So hopefully that analogy, it really helps me. Maybe it's because I'm married and maybe this person isn't married and they don't see that. But I think they, you could understand that any friendship, there's a friendship apply there. Apply to any relationship. Yeah, the, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's just the point is I apply it to marriage because marriage is not intended to end. And so we have bumps along the way that break the fellowship, but don't end the relationship. Now, I know that Mm. breaks down because there is divorce, but that's not what God intended. Right. Let's see. Next question. Uh, What is the best way to keep past sins in thought only, they preface, um, from creeping back into your life? Mm. Uh, well, the first verse that comes to my mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, talks about, uh, I believe it's verse 3, uh, taking every thought captive to the obedience mm. of Christ. And yes. so when I see 2 Corinthians 10, 3, if you miss that, when I think an unbiblical thought, you can beat yourself up for going, why'd you think that thought? Not helpful. It's not going to get you anywhere <laughs> yeah. helpful. So all I can do is say, Lord, I repent of that thought. Mm. So when I think an unbiblical thought, uh, I think the question was, how do I best deal with that? Mm-hmm. You think a true thought. And that might seem silly, but I, have, I know I've shared in this Q&A before. I very deliberately and often will say out loud, Lord, I confess that thought. Lord, I confess that thought. That's a foolish thought. I repent of it, and I declare this to be true. So when... Uh, guilt because of past sin creeps in. Lord, (laughs) I confess that. I repent of that. And I believe that you have forgiven all my sin, past, present, and future. And there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate me from your love for me. And you may go, that's all trite. That's cliche stuff. It's not. It's the truth that we need to declare in the moment of the lie. So, Take the thought captive by recognizing it's not true, repent of it, and declare what is true. So Absolutely. Yes, yeah, a discipline of the mind. Absolutely. And it, and it really is a discipline. Yes. It's a practice, a daily practice. And the sooner the better because yes. um, lies are like rabbits. They make babies really fast in terms of you allow a lie to remain and it'll lead to all sorts of other lies where if you will take it captive, think of it just Mm -hmm. like a captive, handcuff that lie, uh, and then remove it by declaring truth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Next one here. How do we continue to feel the weight of sin, which calls us to repentance, if we live in freedom from all the guilt? I fully believe that it's better to live free from the self-imposed condemnation, but shouldn't sin still break us as followers of Jesus? So the final question here, what is the difference between shame and guilt? Mm. That's interesting. Um, well, shame, maybe, and maybe this is what this person is trying to drive at, that shame is often something we feel because of something we believe. Mm-hmm. I'm still guilty, so I feel shame. So uh, should I, does grace cause me, and grace is that I am forgiven past, present, and future, according to what Christ has done, does grace give me the freedom to become uh, cavalier with sin in my life? Because I'm already forgiven, I'm going to heaven, Mm -hmm. no big deal. I think if that's the thought, 
Well, I don't think that. If that's the thought, you are quenching the spirit and and you may need to ask yourself, am I genuinely born again? Because when I'm born again, the spirit of God dwells in me and the spirit of God is never cavalier about sin in my life. So now maybe you've seared your conscience to the degree that you are no longer responsive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But a true, genuine believer will never be cavalier about sin. And grace will not lead us there. Grace will not lead us to be cavalier about Mm -hmm. sin. Grace will cause me to want to live in obedience to the Lord all the more. See, I I think, let me go back to marriage again. Again, I realize there's, it's an analogy, so it's going to have breakdown. And it's not always going to be true. Uh, I'm just trying to think what would be an accurate time frame. We'll say a couple months ago, talking to a man who was unfaithful to his wife, and she forgave him, she gave him grace. And lots of pushback there of, man, if you forgive him, he's just going to go, wasn't that big a deal? She didn't really get that upset. It's going to lay the groundwork. He's just going to be unfaithful again. By his testimony, the grace given to him in his life didn't produce a cavalier attitude towards unfaithfulness. It created such a gratitude toward his wife that he wanted to please her and love her in response to that. So uh, I don't think, I know that people are afraid of grace, that it will lead to a cavalier. Where there is genuine grace and the Spirit of God dwells, there will be a recognition of sin and conviction of sin. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells within the genuine believer. If I feel shame, if I feel shame, and I'm a genuine believer, it's because I have not understood the fullness of the gospel. Now, there will be a sorrow, different than shame, there will be a Mm. sorrow that I have not lived according to God has made me to be that will lead me to repentance. So sometimes we throw all the same words in the pot and think they all mean the same thing. A sorrow, a godly sorrow, leads to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says, a godly sorrow leads to life where a worldly sorrow simply leads to death because it simply it elevates shame in my life. And shame will never lead me to repentance. Shame will lead me to more and more covering up and hiding. Mm. And it is true. We often dump a whole lot of words and descriptors mm-hmm. into one bucket, yeah. and they can be used multiple ways. Um, question here. My struggle is not guilt over sins committed past, present, and future, but I seem to accept guilt for everything. I'm mm. constantly apologizing when it's not my fault. Mm. Um, so how would they, that's kind of a, a statement there, but I'm assuming the question there would be, what can I do yeah. to move past? Um, I could be wrong, but that would, that smells to me like uh, the idolatry of people pleasing. Mm. When, I, when a person apologizes to people for things that they didn't do wrong, it's a a statement of going, I need to do whatever, even if it's not true, I need to do whatever I need to do so that you and I can be okay. And that is 
rooted in a an idolatry, I think, of people pleasing. Mm. And so if, uh, and I've had to say this to lots of folks, if you didn't do anything wrong, don't apologize. As much as is possible with you, Romans 12, as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. So you can't always be at peace with everybody um, because there's not, Nothing for you to apologize for, but uh, some people try to apologize for things that they haven't done wrong. So it seems to me in this situation, the person is saying, I know I do it. Maybe helping recognize the idol in your life will, um, and maybe it's not people pleasing. So your question should at least ask you to go, all right, why do I do that? What is driving that that I would say I'm sorry when I know I didn't do anything wrong. Ask yourself what's driving that. Expose the idol that drives it, and I think then you'll know how to move on and repent from it. Mm, good. Good thought. Um, uh, next question. I know I've been forgiven. There's no condemnation for me, for the Lord, uh, but the person I wrong continues to bring it back. How do I move past this? I feel so defeated. Mm. Read it again. Um, I know I've been Please. forgiven. There mm-hmm. is no condemnation for me, so no condemnation through Christ. Um, but the person I wronged continues to bring it back. How do I move past? I feel uh-huh. so defeated. Yeah. Um, it could be, and I'm not suggesting this is for sure, but it could be that you've confessed to the Lord but not confessed to them and sought mm-hmm. their forgiveness. So. We, when we sin against someone, we confess to the Lord that we did not live according to who He had made us, and we confess to them, we seek their forgiveness. So it may be that you are forgiven before the Lord, but you have not sought their forgiveness. I'd encourage you to start there. If they say, I forgive you, but they keep bringing it back up, then um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this gently. That's more about them than you. And I can't change somebody else. I can't make them be consistent with what forgiveness is. But I can control, uh, control. I can manage what it is that they're attempting to put on me. So if you have confessed uh, and they have said they forgive you, but are not acting like it, and then it's not, it's not going to help for you to go, well, you said you'd forgive me or not. That's just going to create more. Just mm-hmm. understand they are still learning what it means to forgive. You can live forgiven whether they forgive you or not. And that's pretty important right there. You can live forgiven. If there's a repentant, confessing heart, you can live forgiven whether they can process that forgiveness toward you. Absolutely. And continue to replace truth. What I find, I know we're out of time, I find it very interesting that the all questions were about being firm-footed, not a single one about being fleet-footed. Mm-hmm. And that's the start. We have to be firm-footed before we can be fleet-footed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you have a great afternoon.